double your chances of getting funded. This is the Become Investable Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and if you listen to our interviews with Kerwin Valley and Nigel Romano, you'll understand that the first thing that needs to be in place to position your company to get funded, to position your company for sustainable wealth creation, is to have the people part right. By the people parts, I don't only mean the person at the helm. I don't mean the head or the entrepreneur. I mean, you need to have the right team. And even beyond that, you need to groom people to pass on your business to the next generation. So with me today, we have an HR professional who's been in the field for over 15 years, Mrs. Jillian <laughs> Shepherdier. Jill, welcome. Hi, thanks very much, Kevin. Very good to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation as well. And it was a bit of time. We've been trying to synchronize our schedules as well to be together this morning. Well, we are finally here. Yeah, well, I know yeah. you're very, you're a very busy lady. You know, you just ran a workshop. Yes, yes, yes that's very correct. Make no apologies for that. Um, I keep myself very busy. Yes, we just completed the second session of our certification program in strategic workforce planning. This was held at the Hyatt over the past just about three days ago. We had a Tuesday and Wednesday. Quite good. A group of professionals were there to participate. We had our facilitator come in from um, Santo Domingo to do it. Yes. So these professionals, these are HR professionals or just general professionals? Well, the first time um, we ran the program in Trinidad, it was HR professionals mainly. But this time, what was very refreshing is that we had persons from within the line as well. So we had engineers there, persons who were responsible for plans, and we had a few accountants. The line, well. that's, that's cool. Yes, for, the line. Yeah. Well, that's cool. For oh, us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to remember that, Tom. You wouldn't understand the line. Okay, when we say line, so we speak about HR and the persons we serve, our client areas. So we'll speak about persons in maintenance, reliability, engineering, and so forth. So we had the technical persons, you can say, come in to do the program on this occasion. Is, is that some sort of springboard from your, your experience in the energy sector? I know you spent the bulk of your experience in the energy sector. Yeah. Well, a springboard in a sense, having um, also suffered job loss just a few years ago as well, and also as well having been certified through the same um, company, I decided to approach them because I felt that, you know, there was an opportunity here within the Caribbean to start to upskill change the way that, you know, we tool ourselves to be able to become more competent in our fields. And hence, this whole thing began, this relationship with the Human Capital Institute out of Ohio. I approached them vigorously until they finally decided, well, yes, we will allow the program to come in. So they tested the waters first. They allow me to just do it. And then after the first occasion, a report was done about me and how the um, program progressed. And um, it was decided that'll be a suit and a match, of course, for um, Caribbean Channel Partner for their um, programs. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned job loss, and I know you you were, you were working with that company at a at a very senior level. You're the head of a department. Yes. For well over a decade. Yes, that's correct. So I mean, I guess without calling any names or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that I mean, I think it'd be yes. think it'd be valuable for the listeners to understand like how that how that process happened and how you're able to 
bounce back and now you're doing a consultant yes. and everything. You have you have a client. So I see you're, you're very active on social media now. Yes, correct. You know, yes. I, I, I don't know. You I think very yes, no. <laughs> I don't even think you um, you accept my Facebook okay. request. I, I, yes, <laughs> lest they start guessing my age and so forth. Your audience. <laughs> yeah. No, we know you're young. Yes, yeah. yes, youngish. <laughs> um, but you're correct. I definitely did utilize that experience as positively as possible, having suffered um, job loss. And it was on two occasions. So I would have been retrenched on one occasion. And then on the second occasion, termination, as strong a word as that is. Okay. It was very so termination difficult. Termination is when you don't get the severance package. Oh gosh, yes. The big severance package. Oh, <laughs> yes, but it took me a while to say the word, but I can comfortably say the word now. And I think the message I would want to share with the audience is that it's not the end of the world at the end of the day, right? It's really how we look at it. And in the moment when it happens, you know, it can just be as if like, you know, it's a, just a vicious storm in your mind, which just transcends into your family, your friends, everyone who would have been associated with you in, in one way or the other. But you just can't allow yourself to just wallow and sink deeper and deeper into self-pity. You really have to just step up and get moving and keep focused on what is ahead. It doesn't have to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. It could be an opportunity to be a better you, as cliche as that sounds. You know, you use it positively. And I, I always have had a very positive attitude towards everything. I know. I remember when I was going through, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't terminated or retrenched, but I remember several years ago. I know you mean you and I have been friends for several years. Yeah. I was going through some sort of situation and you, and you told me to think about the beauty in the valley. You remember that? Listen to me. That's my mantra. <laughs> yeah. If it is you're not in a valley, you, what are you beholding? So you look up and what you see around you is beauty. So there really is always something positive, the energy. And you know that, you know what? The only way is up. You're in the valley already. So it's only up you can go at this point in time. But it's really now how you prepare to go up. What are the steps that you take? And I mean, and I can share from my own experience what it is I did and what I allowed myself to, you know, morph into in order to now at this point in time to say, well, yes, I am seeing, you know, land. I am coming out of the valley and there are positive things happening. And I would say one of the first things that you need to do is really start to filter the conversations and the noise around you because everyone is going to have advice. Whether or not they have been through it, they will have excellent advice. And I think I sound a little sarcastic there, but they're going to have excellent advice. Yeah, yeah. Excellent in their opinion, right? In their opinion, exactly. They're going to tell you, stop spending, stop traveling, don't buy the coffee, you know, that nice coffee with the fluff on top, all the lattes and so forth. Okay. Stop. Do not Let's spend. Get the instant coffee from the grocery. Just that's right. For three dollars, don't go and sit with your friends and in sip a coffee that costs twenty dollars. Don't do that. They're going to tell you, well, just forget about travel. No entertainment. Not even date night. Forget that altogether. So your life is pretty much just kind of reduced. To- that's what they want you to do. Reduce it to nothingness. You know, a life probably of um, boredom, as if you've been sentenced that there's no will, there's no way out of it. But then that probably gives them the benefit of having self-pity to bring out a type of emotion in themselves that they want to now impose onto you or have, you know, so thankful. Thank you for your pity. But I want to tell persons, you know what? You are thankful for their pity, but not every day. There is a day (laughs) when it has to to stop. You're not going to make some human here. It has to stop. It can only be self-pity and allowing you as well to just go deeper and deeper into Oh my God. Oh my goodness. I'm in the worst place. I could just die now. It's not that. So 
in the last couple of years, what I've realized, um, Kevin, is that you have to start speaking to yourself. Yeah, I speak and, to myself all the time. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I live by myself. Yourself, yeah. <laughs> I, I full conversations, Joe. Well, well, you know what? I'm yearning sometimes to speak to myself every day because the noise in our house, it's very difficult to do that. But on a more serious note, you know, you have to now move away from the storm move from the fear and the panic and turn that into a real opportunity. Some clear steps where you now could bring out your real true self. Because sometimes, you know, we've been working in organizations and we're doing the same things by rote without even a second thought per se. You know, many of us have those days, even when it is we're working. But people can thrive that way. If it is, they stay very focused. And you want, you have to want to also see some type of positive change in yourself. It must not account for nothing, the fact that you've lost a job, the fact that you've been terminated. You know, it must not mean, you know what, this is the be all and end all for you. You said that's something to enable yourself to do better. So how did you handle it the first time Mm -hmm. when you were retrenched? Yes. Like, how did you take that experience and and bounce back? Because I I noticed that you tend to bounce back very quickly. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I hope that's a negative thing. No, it's a good thing. Yes. I I guess it's resilience, you know, and probably the way I was socialized and so forth. I've always had very resilient persons around me and many women too, Valley. Lots, well, I know you know that plenty. You know, very strong matriarchal um, yes, type yes, family yes. structure. Shout out to mama. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, to mama. But um, that ability to bounce, that first time when it is I was retrenched from the organization, we were treated with such dignity and as professionals. So the organization approached from a very structured way. You know, you knew it was coming. They gave you sufficient notice as well about it. You understood why it had to happen. But more importantly, it was a top-down approach. So the executive management was involved from the beginning. So I never forgot that experience. They put on a full outplacement program of services for us. So there was EAP. There were recruitment opportunities. They contacted their clients to see if it is their clients had any vacancies or so forth that we would have been a good fit for. Because it wasn't just myself, it was a whole team of persons in the HR practice. So, and you know, that in itself, it turns something that could possibly be negative into something that's positive because it's how it made you feel afterwards. You felt, you know, okay, somebody really genuinely cared about what was in what next, which was excellent. And this is a big contrast to... Yes. To, to the last company, because you were working Termination in a- is, is a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> termination is very different. But yet still, you know, I want the audience to understand termination is bad, yes. But I think what was a really strong learning point for me, on the day that I was about to receive the message I was being terminated, this is what has really, you know, resonated well with me. My youngest son, he's the, the last of three boys, and well, then there's a girl after, he said to me, before I dropped him off to school, he said, I hope they fire you. That's exactly, no, this is a true story. He said, mommy, have a good day. And I hope they fire you. And I said to him, okay, Paul, that, and this is, I tell him, I remind him of this story. Paul sounds a bit savage. Yes, sure. yes, yes. But there was a learning in it. Okay, that will be one part of it. And we go on from there. It was like another day. He treated it like nothing big. And that is what it comes down to. You cannot just sit and well. And Paul is what, like five, six years old? He's nine now. Wow. He just became nine a few weeks ago. Yes. And at that time, he would have just been about six, going on to six when it happened. Right. A few months shy of six. And those were his parting words to me. He got out of the car and I simply said, okay, 
And when it happened, it was like, okay, what's next? As far as he was concerned, so what are you going to do now? He was very excited. And for him, it meant no long hours at the office, no staying back and showering on the job, you know, nothing. It was straight home because we had quite a commute from that organization to home. So as far as he was concerned now, this was a start of something new and special. But what about his yeah. birthday and Christmas and stuff? He didn't think oh, about no, 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 no. He thinks big with everything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> as far as he was concerned, we probably had something put aside for his gift. <laughs> for his gift. But um, I've always been to a very creative person. So I guess it gave me some more time as well to do things with my hand, you know, bake different things and so forth. But um, coming back to the crux of it, though, in the moment when it happens, there is really an emptiness that takes place. I mean, like, it's as if your blood leaves your body. You really don't know right there and then what's next. And then there's a rush of persons that come, and the first words you get are, I am sorry, right? Okay, so you're sorry today, you're sorry tomorrow. And my message is, get up and get. Get up and get. So I got up and I got so what did I do next? Well, of course, you pray more. You pray deeper too, because now you're begging. You want a real special blessing at this point in time. But more than that, I had to start now to sift whom it is I wanted around me. So some persons I really had to distance myself from, right? Regardless to what. And I didn't do it hostility, but I simply had to try now to and reach. these are former colleagues? Or? Former colleagues. Even, you know, within your own family circle as well, you have to create a little space as well because you can't answer all of their questions and they think that they're really coming from that place where they can help. But there is a part in it where it is you have to now first want help and start to help yourself. Okay. Yeah. So help me with the chronology of it because I know that this termination, I mean, it was you and a bunch of other senior people yes. in the organization, and it was in the media for some time. That's right. So I think this is around mid-2016? Yes, when we're in 2016. Or right. So when I check your LinkedIn profile, I see, okay, that job ended in February 2017. Yes. And then I see that your consultancy started February 2017. <laughs> yes, immediately. So I had to put something now to replace that negative. Because I still consider myself a qualified person, competent at what it is you know, I was trained to do, still trainable and everything. I had a network of persons that still believed in me. And those were the ones that called and said, okay, what's next? This is what you can do. You know, speaking to me from their own experience and so forth. So from a time you ceased to have me as a formal employee, then I was now my own employee, That's right. right? I didn't cease to have my qualifications, right? I, it wasn't that I no longer existed. My name was still Gillian Chevrolet here in spite of what was said about it. So I made and a conscious so decision. passionate about HR. Oh, yes, very much so. Just as I'm passionate about my name, which is my family's name, right? Because that part, I think, had probably hurt me the most that there was my name. Everybody would know who I was in this negative light in the newspaper. So for me, time, if it is I ceased working for this employer, March 1. So by March 2nd, I was now working for myself and building a brand, right? Under the name of Jillian Chevrolet. So I did that immediately. So for some, this may be a step that may work. It worked for me. I took a chance. I took a risk and I went How after How were you able to do that though? How were you able yes. to transition so smoothly? Well, it came down to resilience. You have a family to feed, you know, as a matter of fact, within my family circle, 
I hope that my husband does not have a problem with me saying this, but, <laughs> but you know, in, in a sense, I was the primary breadwinner in that he had just transitioned. He had now gone out on his own building oh, his practice. Yes. Okay. Yes. He had left the formal corporate world and he was now trying to build his practice. Good so he, and I agree. It was an excellent uh, move, I think, on our part. One person out working in a formal environment and he was more flexible in terms of his time and so forth. So it meant now that there was going to be a quick exchange of some sort. So we always knew we were motivated by the fact that we had our bills. The mortgage was probably the largest bill, I think, for any household now. You have a mortgage, you have children in school, they have needs, and they are aware of their needs and their rights. They are aware so of they their are needs. They are aware of their needs and rights. After yes. they tell you that, they hope you get fired. <laughs> That's right. They are aware of their needs and their rights because you know, in schools now, they tell them, these are the rights of the child. Yes. These are the responsibilities of the parents and the children also have responsibilities as well. So it's against that backdrop now that I knew that, okay, it's only so much time you can spend locked into a bedroom, afraid to see people, not wanting to answer questions and so forth. So you have to have that firm, tough conversation with yourself. And it meant that, you know what, you would have felt a bit of conflict. How could I do this? How could I do that? You know, and I'm speaking to both males and females at this point in time. You have to get to that place where it is you feel your best self. Something, something within that environment has to motivate you to want to get up. And that's what I did. Okay. And so, it started with my name. So what did you, yeah. so what steps did you actually, did you take? I built my LinkedIn profile. Nice. That's what I did. I built my LinkedIn profile on my own with mistakes. I made mistakes. And then I started building my network on LinkedIn. If we had a common um, sort of area, some sort of commonality, whether it is we're in the field of HR, if it is I saw someone that was, you know, really involved or passionate about the arts because I like music, I connected with that person. And simultaneously, I took a really critical look at my own resume. What was in there? What would really distinguish me from others? You know, what do I have? Do I have any certifications or so forth? And the other thing as well is I had an unfinished certification and I decided, you know what? It is time to finish it. That's the strategic yes. workshop. No, I'd already completed the um, strategic workforce planning. I had to finish one part of my thesis for my master's. Okay. And I decided, you know what? I am going to do it. This is your master's yes. in HR strategy? In HR and strategy, yes. Right. And I decided, you know what? I am going to finish it. Not only for myself, existing now, but for my future self. So those were things that I did immediately. Talked to myself, built my LinkedIn profile, cleaned up my CV. And I started connecting with persons on LinkedIn, which was fairly easy to do. Yeah. So let's talk about people building, people training and building teams and everything. Right. So I guess back to your experience at that company. <laughs> So you would have hired and interviewed thousands of people. Quite a few persons. Quite yes. a, quite yes. a number yes. of people. Yeah. So is there a common template, a common, um, let's say a common skeleton of a person or what are the common things you look for when hiring somebody for a position? Yeah. Well, you know, firstly, you're guided by the job description. Because right. there will obviously be, you know, at minimum, at the base, you have a job description. And on that job description, you know, there are accountabilities, but there are also competencies that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that in itself, the JD that is, has transitioned over a period of time. Because there are also some things that you really cannot write on a JD. You can't really document as clearly as you want that best fit, the attitudes that you're looking for. So you may put the skills, you may put, you know, 
some idea of what those business competencies or leadership competencies may look at. But beyond that now, you start to look for a particular attitude. You want somebody that's trainable, somebody that's efficient, you know, somebody that could really, in one part of it, hit the ground running, be able to just run with the job. But at the same time, they're also thinking long term. That person could think strategically and so forth. So as you're building your team, you have to now start look at an attitude and an attitude that is not static, but, you know, changes as well over time or, you know, add some extra value to the, the team, the organization over a period of time. In selecting that candidate initially, how do you, just from a one-hour conversation or one-and-a-half-hour conversation, how do you really assess, okay, this is who this person really is? How do yes. you break down? Because all the time, it's like a first date. People present their best selves. Yes. How do you slice through that and get to the, that person's core personality and through the clutter. Yes. So one good method to use now, in addition to the interview, you have your psychometric assessments, right? Going in conjunction with the interviews as well. But then now you can also run assessment centers where it is you actually create the scenarios, you create the type of issues or problems or so forth that the organization may have to deal with or the team may have to treat with. And what you do is you put that person through almost like a simulation to see how it is they perform in that. It is an area that I am certified in. So, and the organization taught us how to do that. So what you find is it's a different sort of combination of activities that you can do. It doesn't have to be the one-on-one face-to-face interview anymore. You have online um exercises that you send to the person. We have actual written homegrown cases. You give it to them to see how it is the maneuver and sift through the data before them and how they come up with their ideas. What sort of critical thinking patterns they use to be able to really display their true self. And assessment centers are very good in that, you know, it takes them a longer time. It takes a longer time for the candidate to get to the end. So you have a longer time of interaction with the candidates before you. So that way, there is a greater chance as well of you seeing the real individual come out and that way you can have a better opportunity to assess and know whether there's a fit. And even, for example, where that person has to fit into a team that has already been formed, how does that person manage in terms of change relating with diverse groups, those types of things? You know, how do you, and you can assess those using assessment centers. Okay. So for the business owner who's may not necessarily be trained in HR, and who may not necessarily have an HR business partner, because that's what it is, right? A business partnership. That's what HR is an advisory role. Yes. How would you advise an entrepreneur to go about selecting his team? Yeah. Call Jillian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You you know you walked into that, right? I love it. Yes. Yeah, but you know, sometimes as well, um, now each of us has, now HR is a facilitatory role. Huh? Remember, you know, we are not the be all and end all. We are working, we see the line as our client, what I call the line, right? So just as how you have the CEO and so forth, HR is facilitating a process with them. But the good HR practitioner has a very strong capacity to give good advice, right? Grounded in fact, practice, best practice, and so forth. So in essence, it is always better if it is um, you have that sort of balance on a team. Because remember, when you're the CEO of an organization, you have to interview someone on your own. You are coming with a particular mindset, right? You are really looking for a me. Right. What we do is we, we really, um, in, in essence, we sort of almost like transpose our own selves onto candidates in front of us. 
So we like certain things. We expect to see this in the candidate, right? So regardless of what's on your job description, I'm looking for somebody who could talk, somebody, you know, who can network, but you know, you're not also, you don't want to discount the other attributes that may very well play a very, very important part lower down as you and you and your organization execute the strategy. So it's always good to have someone there, a neutral party. If it is you don't have it there on your own, get someone who's in the field, who's knowledgeable or the field, a third party. There are so many organizations as well that provide the services. You can engage them to come and assist you with that. And even if it is you want to do your initial screening within your organization, you can engage organizations to do assessment centers for you. So I think yeah. that I mean that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, where essentially you need to have a team. Yes. Even to build a team, you need you need to have it can't just be you alone. You it need cannot to- be you alone. In anything we're doing, it's a team of persons, right? I'm sure even in essence to have set up with this um interview here today as well, um, Kevin, there were other persons there supporting you somewhere in the background as the case may be. This is the point where you say yes, Jill. <laughs> yes, Jill. <laughs> Yes, but you really do need a team. And um, selecting that team goes back to what your immediate needs are, what will be your, your medium to long-term needs and so forth, and your long-term goals for the organization. You start there. Understand as well, where are you going? What's your purpose? What is the objective of what it is you're doing? And then you start to feel, can you pay? Can you not pay? Do you need this person long-term, short-term? Is it a permanent position or contract position? Is this person going to be a shared resource? Is it something that I can outsource to an organization, right? Where it is, they send a team member for you. You're maybe in similar types of businesses and so forth, lines of business. You send that person in. So there's a lot of questions you have to answer, but you also have to answer them honestly, because you remember as well, there's a cost to this. And also as well, it's person's time. You also have to value your time and that of others when it is you're recruiting for a team. I remember as well, the team doesn't have to be the same. You don't want this uniform team where everybody is just practicing groupthink. Well, I think so. You think so. That's how it is. You want people who are challenged to start a school, someone who's not afraid to speak up, you know, give their opinion as well you know, willing to try new ideas and so forth. I'm a very innovative person, you know, and now we, we speak about being very environmentally friendly and oriented. You want that person to be very conscious as well of how we are doing things and what we are doing and when we are doing it. So you only want to take all of those things into consideration as well. Yeah. And document properly, of course. And when things aren't necessarily working out, how do you deal with that? How do you no. handle the discussions or how do you decide, okay, Let's just part ways and let's see. Because what a lot of what a lot of entrepreneurs do, they they go to the people closest to them. So they go with their friends, they go with their family and stuff. Yes. So how do they handle that? Okay, maybe we can't work together yeah. or maybe we don't share common vision. How do they handle that? Yeah. That's a good question. Because sometimes you know you're faced with that type of circumstance and perhaps those closest to you are the most difficult to tell that it's not working out. So it really won, it starts at the beginning. You have to be aware of how it is you're recruiting into your team to begin with. What are you really looking for? You may not get all of the answers, but try to get as good a description as possible of what you're in fact looking for. But if in the um, odd case, it happens where it is you all aren't working out, there's a performance um, assessment process that can treat with that. If it is, you have a fixed way of you know assessing persons and so forth. So if it is, for example, I am hired, 
at minimum, the expectation is that I would have some objectives, right? Some targets, et cetera, as the case may be. These should be discussed up front with the employee, the new employee. Let them know what your expectations are and so forth. And you cannot wait until just the day before you're about to dismiss them to see you know what you're going to do on assessment. You should be assessing how this is working out, regardless whether this person is a family member, your closest friend, a neighbor, a business partner. Once you have an assessment process in place, you should try as much as possible to stick to it. But what happens is that sometimes we get caught up in our own activities and we have a lot of competing priorities. So it becomes difficult to do so, right? An easy way out, maybe to have a third party come in, but that is really not a nice something because you may cause more conflict that way. So you really have to get to that professional maturity where you're able to have the open and honest conversations. And I think more and more organizations are moving towards that level of maturity now where they can have the open conversations. And by open conversations, I mean to say you're not going in a punitive way, but you're discussing it because at the end of the day, you do have a common goal. You want your business to succeed. You want it to work out. And it helps as well when you allow the person to answer the questions. So you don't say you are not doing it right. How do you think you're performing is a better way of putting it as opposed to, you know what? That is real nonsense that you're doing. It's not working out and so forth. Let them start to answer it because oftentimes persons are very capable of assessing their own performance, right? And then you have that level of discussion and so forth. And you'll find that in teams where it is you have senior persons mixed with, you know, more junior persons, it becomes a bit easier, especially if it is you have a proper process in place. So I really emphasize the point of having a proper process in place, making sure you have a, a proper performance assessment process in place as well. Yeah. It's all about having the right structure and having the right systems. Yeah. yeah. It really is a big help that way when you have it. When you don't, it becomes a major problem. Okay. Yeah. HR without fear. See, you put, posting that hashtag a lot. On yes. HR without fear. That's right. HR. Yes. What's the genesis. behind that? Yeah, what's yes. the genesis behind genesis, that? Genesis, yes. So in May, thanks for helping me choose the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fearless HR and HR without fear. At the beginning of this conversation, you recall that I told you that's one of the things that um, happens. You know, a lot of fears drummed up in you from persons, right? I have remained very true to my career. I love HR, and HR is not just you know people say, oh, "Gosh." plan an event or it's personal files. No, it has gone beyond that. Right. So and I wanted to have a hashtag that would have risen or, or at least raised the profile of HR as much as possible because it was almost as if I was stepping back into the field, right? I temporarily had to step out. No, I was stepping back in and I wanted to step in bigger than I was before, you know, and it was very important to me that I get my name out there and so forth as quickly as possible and to build my network. So when I approached the Human Capital Institute, which I would have mentioned before, the person that they selected to facilitate the program was Mr. Dave Foreman. And Dave Foreman wrote a book called Fearless HR. So as a part of it, a surprise for the participants, we had a book signing event and everybody was given a copy of the book. And he was using the term a lot. And I felt, you know what? That was exactly a good summation of what it had to be. It had to be fearless HR. And I saw myself as having to be fearless to move to the next step. Because when I lost my job, I was at a stage where it is, I was really advancing in my career. So you felt almost stymied. So he allowed me to use the term jump on it, jump on that bandwagon. And I said, you know what? That's what I would do. So fearless HR morphed into 
who are um, HR, who are we? But you know, where they call at us, HR and everything. HR without fear, be meaning to say, you know what? We want to have our place in the boardroom, right? It's not that we have to be a vice president HR, but we want our place in the boardroom, meaning to say we have a voice. So even when they're speaking there and say, I am not present, they understand the language that HR brings to the table, you know, and you're able to bring it forward. So I decided, you know what, everything now to keep it consistent, it's a consistent message, it's fearless HR. So I've just continued with it. Love it. Love Thank it. you. <laughs> so like you said earlier, you ran a conference this week. Yes. And I know you guys do, under HCI, strategic yes. workforce planning. Planning, that's right. And yes. You mentioned eight components yes. of strategic workforce planning. You're going to kind of go through it. I think it'll be very valuable for um, the audience. Which which eight? Are you speaking about the different steps in the model? Right. Because so the role, like, role segmentation, yes. your environmental scan. That's right. So, yeah. so it begins with strategy. Now, HR has always done workforce planning in different forms. So you'd have heard manpower planning, right? Workforce alignment, right sizing, different things, you know, planning out your workforce, how many persons in the pool, the pool that we have to work on. So it's not that we have not done it. But when I did the program online, I realized that doing this particular program, it gave it a very structured, modular approach. And that is very good because what it does is it gives a sort of common thread between other disciplines. Because you'll find the engineer, it's a structured approach. So, and that has always been a bit of a disconnect between HR and a lot of other departments within the organization. They feel that HR does not understand the business. You hear them saying that we don't understand the business. We can't speak the language and so forth. So having done it, I felt, you know what, if there is this commonality and there is a way to bring it across where each group could learn and, and benefit from it, why not bring it? So I approached HCI and they brought in their program. So as I said, it begins with a strategy. Every organization has a strategy. Whether that strategy is documented or not, it is a strategy, right? You may say, you know what? Two years from now, I want to acquire this property and we're going to expand our office space. But it is it's a strategy. Even if you have not written it down and broken it down into objectives, you have a strategy, you have a goal going forward. So what it does is it takes that strategy and it starts now to look at the workforce and see how that workforce measures up to what the needs of that strategy is and to be able to meet that strategy. So it starts now to analyze the workforce that you currently have, right? And then you get into your gap analysis. And then, of course, you have the role segmentation. Role segmentation is something that does not sit comfortably with everyone, but you have to do it. We have this thing, we'll say, okay, the CEO is critical to the organization, for example. Right. Yeah, we say it all the time, right? The managing director is critical to the organization. What rule segmentation does, it takes the guesswork out of it and it defines each type of rule so that there are no gray areas, right? We all know that the CEO is very important to the business. But if that CEO comes to work, but let's say his pilot does not come to work, is the business still sustainable if it is you're in the airline industry? You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yes. So what it did was it took a very, very detailed look in terms of the different roles within the organization and how these fit in. So you have your core roles, your critical roles, your support functions, that type of thing, and it breaks it down. So it forces you now to take a different look at your organization. Because at the end of the day, if you do not segment your rules and understand what those rules mean to the business, 
in time to come, you may not have a business at all, particularly when it is sometimes you find organizations are competing for the same talent. You can't get the talent. The world is now just flat. Anybody can migrate to anywhere as the case may be, and your skills may just be leaving your organization, hemorrhaging. And you don't even realize you don't know where your next skill set is coming from. So it encourages organizations from the onset to start to look at these rules. And then, of course, the environmental scan, what is happening in your environment, how is that impacting you? We can no longer say that, you know what, we are insulated from the changes taking place within. So persons may watch what is happening in the oil and gas industry, for example, locally, and say, you know what, well, that's in the southern part of the country. This is where, let's say, 2,600 people lost their jobs. Well, you know, it's it's the entire organization, as I understand it, based on the public information. They are all being let go from the organization, and then the organization has space for a certain number that they may re-engage based on what their needs are. So when you look at what's happening in the environment, there's the internal environment, the external environment, and it tells you how to treat with each of these. Then futuring. Futuring is probably the most challenging part of it because it's not always an area that persons are comfortable with thinking about the future. You know, because many persons think, you know what, I can't influence or change the future. It's going to happen anyway. Well, I think, well, to me, just by reading up on this a little bit, I think the rural segmentation actually kind of lends itself to the future. And I'll explain why. So you spoke a lot about a lot of the businesses in the CEO, the managing director. And what I notice about a lot of small businesses is that the biggest risk they have is key man risk, where the, where the CEO is essentially mm-hmm. the business. Yes. You know, and if, that, if something was happening at CEO tomorrow, yes. all hell break loose. Right, so when you talk about featuring, and when I read up on you, <laughs> you quoted this article about your son, yes, yes who's a, yes. Well, a, a now a junior professional golfer, yes, yeah, you know, big up to Jamark, yeah, and he's, big up to Jamark. <laughs> and there's one phrase that you use: one to watch, one to watch. And in every organization, you should have at least one employee who's one to watch. Yes. That's at that, minimum, yes. at minimum, right? That yeah. one to watch is a person that you could groom. Yes. To be the future leadership of the business. Well, leadership or wherever it is that critical need is. Right, right. Because like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, one of the most important things about becoming investable is being able to position your business for long-term growth. That that extends beyond the current generation. Investors don't want to invest in a company that that could fall up within the next five to ten years. You know, so... I think future yeah. is an important part if you could it's just very, kind of talk about what very. a little bit. And, and the thing about futuring too, you can make it fun because you can just run loose with the ideas. And that's exactly what a facilitator does in a program as well. Let them run loose with it because you know what? The future, it is imminent, but you are trying to get uh, some bit of control in it right now, what you would like that particular future to be. So for example, so for example, when it is they do the future and exercise, what they have to do is you have to name it. So you have your quadrants, your A axis, your B axis and so forth. And you name, so you can actually decide, okay, if we're going to be in sunset, if we're going to be in sunrise, you know, put nice creative names to it. And what we had, which was quite interesting in this particular class that went this week, is that some persons named it after songs. So is this and they played this? Is this that you that you are teaching a lot by simulation as well? A lot of it. It's really adult learning, and it's taking all the possible types of tools and methodologies to ensure that the message is um, received. That's interesting because just a few weeks ago, I did an interview on Caribbean Power Lunch where I spoke to Roger Moore on about cash flow, yes. about how to build, you know, sustainable cash flow and all of that. And 
how he teaches financial literacy is through games. And that's yes. also how he teaches science education and stuff. It's through games and simulation. Yes. And what he was showing, what he was, what he was claiming was that in classroom learning, the retention is something like 20%. But when you learn by simulation, when you actually do it, that retention goes all the way up to 90%. Yes, yes. So that's really it's, interesting yes. you guys. And you have to, you have to. And a good facilitator as well would know how to break it up into chunks and at what time to use what type of tool and methodology. And you would find that your, your group is probably more alert in the morning. So you know what you can do in the morning. And right after lunch, we you know what we call our ethnic fatigue and so forth. <laughs> yes, you have to know, you know, what it is to utilize. But he's quite correct because games as well. And I will tell you this, but a plug in here, HR is using games in their um, programs now. We are using it. I am using it. And I'm very much connected to an organization that does games. So look out for that as well. Perhaps one day you'll call me again for this podcast and we can speak about the type of games in adult learning. And these are serious business games, but it's fun. It's a good way too of developing competencies in persons, developing teams and so forth. But the futuring is a very nice aspect of it. And actually I would extend an invitation to you because it's not, I don't want it to be known as HR programs. These are programs for professionals to further develop and advance their careers. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So how does, I see action planning. How does action planning yes. work as part of the one of these Yes. Steps? So you build, you build an action plan. So you know what it is you have to do and so forth. And you're literally, it's a plan that you, you develop. So you have your quadrants and so forth, and you just develop the plan in terms of the way forward. And the beauty of having a plan is it is a blueprint that you can go to. Now, this is not to say that you would not tweak things as you go along, because remember, all of this goes back to your strategy. And we know, depending on what's happening in the environment, you have to go back to your strategy. So you'll find, okay, within the first year, persons will relook their strategy. Two to three years down the road, and sometimes even within two to three months, you have to look at your strategy again, because something significant has happened within your industry, within your operating environment. So that's the joy of the action plan. You have it there as your blueprint, but you can still go back and refresh things on it and so forth. All right. So Jill, what's next? So you have your your Caribbean channel partner for HCI. You're doing your your consulting and everything. Yes, I am. How does your business, how do you look to plan and grow and scale your business? Right. Yes. So... Well, it has to grow. I think that is a clear instruction. <laughs> yeah, uh, those kids have, have yes, needs and they have rights. And they have rights, exactly. Don't forget that. They have needs and their rights. Well, the Caribbean Channel Partnership brings with it quite a significant amount of responsibility. I'm responsible to HCI, right? The parent company, as well as I have a commitment to our Caribbean colleagues as well. So what will happen is that I am mandated to have at least three programs per year. Right. So I've already had one this year under the partnership, even though I've had two, I've only had one so far under the partnership. Um, And that's okay because we started the contract late in this year. So the next step is either, I have to say either Jamaica or Barbados, because they both want the program around the same time. Right. So it's just a matter of how do we maximize getting a facilitator in the territory during that period of time. So it's um, Jamaica, Barbados, more than likely Aruba to start some workshops and so forth. 
And definitely Guyana is on the arm reader as well to do it. So that's on that celebrity partnership. Additionally, HCI and I, we also, as a part of our contract, we are able to do um, a lot of interventions for organizations. So we would be looking to tap into that as well. And I have also begun my own private client work as well and some volunteering to build my own competence further and so forth. So I've started some volunteering activities and so forth. And of course, my Lydians cannot give up my Lydians. That's my me time, the choir. The Lydian Singers Valley, I'm going to send you two tickets for the Lydian Singers. It's like the premier choir of this country. Don't you know the Lydian Singers? Pat Bishop. We now have Miss Lorraine Grandison and Carl Hines directing the choir. But nevertheless, we are known for, um, well, it's a large choir. We are known for singing a lot of Negro spirituals. We try all types of genres of music, classical. Well, of course, we have lovely soloists and so forth. And we put on a lot of concerts during the year. And it's also a community choir. So we do a lot of volunteer work in that regard. We go and we sing for churches and so forth so that they can um, raise funds for their various church-based activities and fundraising ventures. But please look us up. And we are open to new members. <laughs> yes, so this is an open invitation. We practice three nights a week at Bishop Sam Angsty in Port of Spain. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And closer to concert time, we do Sundays as well. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, where, else, where else can we find you, Joe? The beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I know, yes, and you know that's the truth. Um, the beach or an unpaid Uber driver. You know, I drive my, um, yeah, the children around a lot. They have a lot of activities oh. and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an unpaid um, rule. You know, and I, I just keep myself busy. I'm very active in my church as well. You know, and I really try to give as much time to others, as much as my family, my friends and so forth. But I do take my me time, which is my three days at my choir. But I'm really going to be actively looking to build the profile of HR in this country, doing my part. And I think it's very important that what I have learned, I share. And I'm very passionate about that because even when I transitioned from termination, there were persons who immediately came to my assistance pushing me, even when it is I wanted to approach this international company, little me, no company name or anything like that. I just decided, you know what? I wanted to do this and I pushed and I pushed. There were persons who were really literally pushing me. So I think it's, it's only right that I now begin to push others. I'm passionate as well about young persons coming out of university. I feel that they have to also be quite prepared for the next steps as well for the world of work. Yeah. Okay. It's H, your HI services, are they available online? My HR services? Yeah. Well, you will find me online, primarily on LinkedIn, but you would not get my services online. Where I can give online advice, I do. But otherwise, I think sometimes it's better if it is you keep these things, you know, offline, you go into the organization and have that conversation. See, not just a social media image. People actually see your real body and they can speak oh, with you in person. Maybe you could um, book Skype calls with you or video yeah. video conferences with yeah, you. That also, works. Sessions. that also works as well. Yes. Right. And they could probably email you and everything too. Yeah, but they will definitely find me on LinkedIn. They can connect with me, private message me on LinkedIn and so forth. I believe my number is there also, my email address. And, it is, um, and I'm very easy to speak with. We see, we see. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, very, very easy to speak with, you know. So, and I, and I try to keep things as simple as possible. It's not this hidden science. It's not something that's so, you know, buried deep that you really have to be only a part of this fraternity to tap into the knowledge. Jill, thanks a lot for coming through and dropping all this knowledge and wisdom and, and your wisdom. story and experiences and jokes. Your jokes, yes. Yes, yes so you love, you love jokes. You love jokes. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to leave us with that we haven't covered? Well, not that we haven't covered, but I think just to drive the point home that, you know what, we have to be our first champions, right? If it is we don't push ourselves to better, it's almost impossible to push others into better. So we have to try to have that influence over ourselves first, you know, have some emotional intelligence in terms of how we operate, what we do, how we interact with others and so forth. And and just don't damn your bridges. You know, it's very important to not damn your bridges because you never know when you have to return to that same bridge. But, you know, but just be a good influence over yourself to be able to be a positive influence over others. Okay. And also advice for, for business owners, for entrepreneurs, for CFOs, for CEOs. Yeah. So in terms of building and in terms of making sure they have the right people on their team. Yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of the startups and so forth, I will tell them, you know, it's okay to fail. That's all right. We may lose. We may make a loss at the beginning. That's fine as well. But it's very important who you surround yourself with, right? You know, and intuitively we are able to select the right persons. Listen to that small voice as well. But don't be afraid of the person is not a replica of yourself. Because sometimes we lose out on really, really good persons if we don't tap into what is not like us. Because sometimes we are really not our best selves, but it may have somebody there who could actually bring something out of us. You know, so don't discount the person who is not precisely like you or what you wanted. There you have it. This was the Become Investable podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher or CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcast. And with that, we are out. <laughs>